And so, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, uh, Malachi chapter 2 is where we are this morning, in the Red Pew Bible, that's, uh, I believe, page number 906, if my memory serves me well, I forgot to look it up this week uh, to see exactly where that was. Malachi chapter 2, it's the last verse of that chapter, and then we're going to pick up the first five verses of chapter 3. Malachi 2, 17 through 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 5. Verse 17 says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, began to starve 
people even began to cannibalize their own children. It was that stressful. It was horrifying. A minority of people were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, and the rest butchered, left exposed on the streets. No one there even cared to bury them. An even smaller minority returned out of captivity within a 70-year period. They were the survivors. They were the ones who made it back. They were like the Holocaust survivors. It's a surreal miracle. Lots of progress had been made. They, they had built a new temple. They had built a wall for Jerusalem. They even anointed a new They expected great, great prosperity upon the entrance to Jerusalem. Kind of like the day of the Lord would appear and, and the Messianic age would be there for them. But where was the lion lying down with the lamb? They didn't know that. And the ground was so hard to, to get productive again. They were still subjected to a Persian rule. They couldn't be fully independent like they wanted. The priesthood was starting to corrupt. And people weren't keeping covenant with God like they said they would. And they began to ask themselves, why did we survive all of that for this? God not bring the justice that he came to this land and turn his tide and turn it over? And these exile survivors were disillusioned with God. And you know, Christians, we also can become disillusioned with God. We can imagine that we have been saved for some greater purpose when we, we taste the reality of the gospel, we may suddenly imagine that we have been put here for some great purpose. I remember even as a young boy thinking, when I answered the call to gospel ministry and to preach, I thought to myself, I'm going to preach the forgiveness of sins of people. Christian pastors can become disillusioned when they realize that being When you are first aware of your salvation, it's sublime sunshine. It fills your soul. But then life becomes tedious, and then temptation and church attendance feels like a chore, and temptations start to mount. Marriage has not become any easier. In fact, maybe it's been even harder. Children don't obey me like I want them to. Friends forsake me. Other people's lives are different now. It's amazing. 
Bold preaching is intended to prepare his way. Something great is going to come. There's going to be a preacher who comes. Now, in the ancient world, a messenger was either an angel or a human prophet. Angelic beings were usually more reliable in what they brought as a message, but humans could be example, in the last days of Jerusalem, when Jerusalem was under the weight of, of the siege, a false prophet, prophet named Hananiah claimed that within two years, every temple in Bethlehem that had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar would be returned to Jerusalem. The king himself would return, and any in the first wave of exile, they would also come back within a two-year time period. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make those words that he has prophesied come true. But here's the story. The prophet who preached to King Jews and Medes in ancient times prophesied what? War. Famine. Pestilence. That's what Jeremiah is saying. You're proclaiming to me that the end is set. What all the other prophets have brought as a message to their audiences. Jeremiah recognized the hazard of listening to prophets and preachers who tell you what you want to hear. I mean, you can see the siege towers being constructed outside of Jerusalem, and you can see the world changing and America becoming less of a stable place. And your heart wants it to be told that we will rise again. Sometimes we need to hear what we don't want to hear. What do we need to hear? We need to hear, repent, and believe the gospel. That's what we need to hear. need an engine replacement under the hood. You need a new heart. You need a new you. Pride and unbelief will destroy your soul and keep you from the true God. 
there is through the valley. You have to humble yourself. And that was the message of John the Baptist. He came as the forerunner to prepare the way of the Lord. He took the very hard message that the depravity of mankind, that in your heart of hearts you are not as good as you think you are. You have a contamination that is so deep within your soul that you need the Holy Spirit to renovate you from the inside out. The way God chose his displeasure for our sin is through the cross. And we believe that our sin was so dreadful, so abhorrent to God, that he allowed his only begotten son to be hung upon the cross as a display of the abhorrence for our sin. That's how deeply we have offended our holy God. And so, it's maybe not the message you would want to hear, but it's the message that we need to hear. We all need to hear it. And so, we have the preparation, the one preaching boldly what they would not want to be heard, and then we have what is predicted to be a sudden appearance of the angel of the Lord. In the second part of verse 1, he says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now the word Lord, some translations you'll notice that it's all lowercase and sometimes the uppercase Showing up in a form that we could see without, without dying and seeing the actual radiation of God's holiness. And this prophetic claim was that the Son of God would come suddenly to his temple. A couple key points here that I think we need to reflect upon is this. The gospel writers, when they were writing
people saw him and they just, some of them were like, is he just a good man? Actually, he's not a good man. He's actually deceiving the people. He's trying to lead them astray because he wants to bring about justice. Second, Jesus also claimed to be the true vine, the bridge to the worship of God. He claimed that his body would be broken, it would be destroyed, and in three days it would be raised up, resurrected. And he just referred to himself as the messenger of the new covenant, the new covenant that was in his blood, and he was the remembrance of him. And thirdly, something we can also note is that Christians are described as a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. Peter says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. See, the church is a new temple, and Christians are like precious stones gathered from all over the world into this beautiful edifice where God's presence now, Jesus was suddenly in the temple, but he was also suddenly gone from the temple. You know what I've told you in this ministry or told you that has been kind of startling? And you sometimes think, wow, that was quick. In the middle of three years, Jesus showed up, and then he was all of a sudden gone. Refining image and all 
to the, the polar stove. Now, maybe polar is an older word that you're not familiar with. It just means like a, a wanderer, someone who is skilled in dry cleaning in our context. You know, who, they know how to get the sauce out. They know how to, to and they, they use abrasive kind of soaps. The a refiner turns up the heat and he knows how hot to make it to kind of remove those impures. He's looking for gold and he's trying to remove all the gold stuff. Excessive heat and high pressure is not pleasant experiences. We don't, I don't, those are not the things that I look forward to, to having happen to me. I don't want to be rubbed like, you know, those rug burns in our conclave. Pain and suffering can be, though, a means to draw close to God. And this may be a means in which to catch our attention so that in pain and sorrow for our own sins, we do those painful acts of confession. We confess our sins out loud. It was our sin that held him there. Yes, God does not approve of evil. And to demonstrate God's abhorrence for sin, he permitted his only begotten son to be horrifically crucified for us. He died in our place. Have you ever asked this question? Why me? How did you, how did you put yourself in In that 30-minute window, Tom McGinnis called in and bumped him off the stage. Tom McGinnis, born in Louisville today, took Steve Sittler's seat in the cockpit of the flight that was supposed to go to a family from Boston in Bermuda. Something amazing 
that we would expect it of a survivor like that? Have you ever wondered what he would do to justify his own life? The answer for survivors who are disillusioned with life is actually found in the belief that God keeps his covenant with you even if we don't immediately see the purposes for which we have been redeemed. And I think it's really critical for us to believe, understand that a relentless belief in God's integrity, his fidelity, he will never change, is what is motivating for us to get up every morning and be a Christian as we were called to be. so that we don't just sit, sit soak and sour we are called for good works and Christians are called to be living sacrifices and I mentioned this in a sermon a few weeks ago but I want to revisit it because I think it's an important point for us to recognize in Romans 11 Romans 11 Paul highlights the sovereignty of God to call people to himself Gentiles, people outside of the national covenant. It was a merciful act, and, and Paul just, he's, he's like overwhelmed with the realization that he doesn't deserve any of this, and it's a merciful act of God, and it is intended to cite faith in him, in God, that he keeps his promise. And in Romans 12, as the chapter God, which is your spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you notice that there is in this super synopsis of what we are called to be, this what is good, to, to what is acceptable, and, and what, what is it that God would really want me to do with my life, to die daily to self, is to be living sacrifices. I don't feel like going to make you different. It's going to be that kind of a belief. A lot of times we'll say, well, you know, I, I don't really go to church today. I don't know. I just don't feel, you know. Could it be that you really, in the end, want to live out a consumer relationship with God rather than a covenantal relationship with God? 
have responsibilities as Christians. Or let's say you hear a sermon on anger. Or you hear an a sermon on lust or tithing or, or some other, other item that you're called to do as believers. And the Spirit comes along and says, Yeah, you need to do something about that. And so you, you, you take this, you take this for a while and you maybe you start doing a spiritual discipline you haven't done in a long time. And, and then you relax and you, 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 you say you say things like, Well, I suppose I'm wrong. Or you can be like Israel and take well, God is obligated to do this for me since I have prayed the prayer. If we simply serve God in a mechanical way, despite our sins, God's still going to keep his part of the deal. And what God is not bound to bless us, he is not he is also bound to curse us. If we're not in the process of dispel from our heart any root of disbelief in God's integrity and fidelity. Now, very briefly, I want to finish this sermon with verse 5. Because it answers the second question of, like, where is the God of justice? Well, in verse 5, we, we read, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who This is the fourth prediction at the end. I see three. Now to four. The God of justice is going to come and he is going to execute judgment upon all workers of iniquity. I have said that in scripture there are all kinds of people of faith crying out, how long, O Lord? How long? And what sets this, this generation of people that Malachi is talking to apart is that they have like a lack of faith that God will even actually come. You forget that God is not constrained by time, as we think of time. We live, as it were, in a system. We have a sense, certainly, of what what eternity is like when we're standing from our hearts any notion that God is not going to do what he has said he is going to do. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. The hammer is going to fall on injustice. In verse 5, we see that God, the God of justice is going to show up. He's going to vindicate the oppressed. And we see great wickedness in our world today. We see those who oppress the 
covenant violations in their marriage. And now the list in, in verse 5 is not comprehensive. We also, we can see in Revelation chapter 21 an indication of this as well. John says, but as for the cowardly, faithless, detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Unbelievers will experience in the final trial and the whole state. For unbelievers, the purging will be throughout all eternity because that is the debt that is owed to God for our transgression. We have sinned against God. But how will we be purged as Christians? Well, because Christ has absorbed the punishment for our sins, past, present, and future, for us, the resurrection is a momentary transition flame of death. Those of you from past, like, have you ever done this where you, there's a candle stick in there, and you're trying to impress someone, and one of your fingers goes through the flame? Probably seen that done on some pleasant part, right? Trying to impress someone. It's, it's kind of like the transition from, from death to heaven. Passing through that flame. And that movement into glory is so transformative, it will purge away and renew our sins in a new condition. That we will all one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive a reward for that which we have done in our bodies, whether it is good or not. Some will enter glory as if it was through fire, but it's quick transition. But each will receive in themselves reward of glory for the covenant commitment and following of Christ and his testimony. We will not know, for example, what, I will not know, for example, what Abby's reward will be. I imagine it's greater because she's got the production team. And she won't know what my reward will be. There'll be this quantitative element, though, of happiness that will be ours, and we will have it compounded, if you will, based upon how we have followed him in this world. We are called to be men and women of integrity and fidelity. Wall-to-wall covenant is a little bit silly, but I mean, that's not, I'm not going to say there's any difference from what I have 
reflecting on her 21st birthday week in South Africa, and this, she said this, I, I can share before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. God help me to make good my vows, and God bless all of you who are willing to share in them. To imperial family, pretty small adopted into an imperial family. We are also called with responsibility into that family. We are called to be men and women of integrity and fidelity. And it's probably of no inconsequence that her life is characterized with because of the faith that she had in her father in Christ. Faith affects Bear the punishment for failing. And so he calls us 